This episode of Market Foolery is brought to you by Bamboo HR. Do you run a business or work in HR? Bamboo HR can manage all your employee data and automate countless tasks in one easy-to-use system. Get an extended 14-day free trial at bamboohr.com fool. bamboohr.com fool. It's Monday, October 15th. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Matt Greer, and joining me in studio, we have Motley Fool analyst Emily Flippin and Matt Argersinger. Welcome. Hey, Good Mac. Morning. How are we feeling? Well, it's a Monday. It's Monday. That's come on. We need more enthusiasm <laughs> here. Come on, bring it. Because we are going to be talking some Sears. Are you ready to talk Sears? I'm, I'm ready to talk Sears. Okay. It's it's kind of it's a sad <laughs> chapter. It it's, is. it's 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 not a altogether surprising chapter. But on Monday, Sears filing for Chapter 11 bankruptcy protection. Now, what that means for now is that Sears will close 142 stores. Company has around 700 stores. Now, Matt, this is a last ditch effort to save the company. We knew this was going to come. Probably not surprising, but really could be the end of an era. I think it is the end. I mean, I know they're going to go through this Chapter 11 process, debtor in possession, try to get through the holidays, which can help a lot with you know covering a lot of outstanding costs and liabilities. But for all intents and purposes, I think this is pretty much the 11th Close to midnight as you can get for a brand and a company that, I mean, we've talked about this morning, over 125 years in existence. When the average, I looked this up, the average Fortune 500 company these days lasts less than 15 years in existence. Started in the 1880s. Amazing. Selling watches via mail order. Right. And then, you know, yes, and then the mail order business. I mean, it really was, if you think about it, the Amazon of the early 20th century. It was reaching people across the country, enabling people, not just in cities, but in rural areas in the country, to get a catalog, order things, have things shipped. Get I mean, a house. Get a house. Uh, you know, Eventually, buy a car and service a car. I mean, there's so many things that Sears impacted um, everyone's lives. Uh, and uh, so, just to see it kind of come to this end, and we've seen this end approaching for a while now, but I believe we're pretty close to the end right now. So I did a little research here, and I want to do the brief history, and then Emily, I want to get your thoughts. Sears, as we mentioned, founded in the 1880s, expands its catalog in the 1890s. In 1906, goes public. The 1908 catalog, I love this. 1908, Sears says, we solicit honest criticism more than orders. So very Amazon-esque there. They opened their first department store in 1925. By the middle of the 20th century, Sears' domestic annual revenue is around 1% of the U.S.'s GDP. Amazing, Emily. Yeah, it's clear that Sears had definitely made its impact on the American economy, the American consumer, and managed to weather a lot of storms throughout its history, especially when you look through the 20th century. What's really interesting is, you know, it kind of started out with this catalog model where people in rural areas were having access to products that they wouldn't have otherwise have access to. Um, and they slowly changed that to become a retail model, which allowed them to reach more consumers, uh, supply products at the price points that are most convenient and most profitable for them, something that was kind of challenging with the catalog model. And then they, they expand. They get into lots of different industries. Um, one of the ones that you know we spend a lot of time talking about is financial services. They tried to get into the financial services industry. They really wanted to become a, a one-stop shop for the American consumer. Um, and now it's interesting that coming into the 21st century, you've seen this very slow but inevitable decline. 
And let's, uh, let's talk about that. There was a 1980 quote by their head of their planning group, this guy, Philip Purcell. And he says, quote, there is no reason why someone shouldn't go into a Sears store and buy a shirt and a coat and then maybe some stock. I, 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 I find that I'm so glad you found that because that is so... First of all, it's so 1980s, right? It's the conglomerate era. It's it's all these businesses buying other totally non-related businesses because they think having this umbrella of all these different businesses, you know, enhances your revenue and increases your diversification. Uh, and it's just so funny to think that Sears, you know, some of the stuff's logical. I mean, Sears sold insurance. Well, that, that makes sense in a lot of cases. If you bought a car or another or an appliance at a Sears, getting insurance to go along with that makes sense. But then going in and, and maybe buying a stock, so they, they bought Dean Witter, a brokerage company at the time. They bought a real estate brokerage firm. They, they, they combined all these things, and it just, you know, what it did, and I thought um, the article that you pointed out from The Atlantic, the one by, uh, by, Derek Thompson. by Derek Thompson, kind of pointed out that, you know, they did all these things, and it, it actually worked. All these businesses they actually bought worked, but it masked a fundamental decline in their core retail business, which I think is one of the, we'll talk a little bit going forward about some of the lessons out of this, but that was one of the reasons why um, I think the beginning of the end, so to speak, for the Sears retail business. So let's talk a bit more about that, Matt. If people haven't followed the recent history of Sears, um, we're talking about older history, but recent history, you've got to kind of begin with the name Eddie Lampert. Fill us in there. That's right. So Eddie Lampert's this kind of uh, very highly regarded hedge fund manager. He comes in, he turns around Kmart. Well, turns around under air quotes, <laughs> but he acquires Kmart and it gets credited for kind of turning around that business. And then does something just extraordinary at the time. He takes Kmart and merges it with Sears and under the idea that I'm going to take two struggling retailers, so to speak, put them together, and together they're going to be stronger. Together they're going to be able to compete with the Walmarts of the world, the Targets of the world, the Home Depots of the world, all these big emerging mass merchant retailers. Uh, and you know, at the time, and I even remember this kind of being starting at The Fool in 2008, there was just a lot of you know, credit given to Lampert. You know, he's going to do this. He's going to pull this off. He's a genius, uh, and you know, he's going to be able to financial engineer his way to create a lot of value to shareholders. He's going to focus on the real estate. He's going to focus on some of the brands like the Craftsman brand and the Kenmore brand, Lands End. Uh, and we see what's happened over the last ten years or so. It certainly has not worked out. And Emily, one of the things we were talking about before the show today is how Lampert really saw Sears in some ways as more of a collection of assets, but not so much a steward of this great American brand. Yeah, I, I definitely don't think. Of course, hindsight's twenty twenty, um, and I'm relatively young, so I never got to live in the era of you know Sears dominance. Uh, but I think. Lampert, from my perspective, never really came into this company with the intention of saving it. You could look at the way he ran the company, the interest that his hedge fund had in it. What he did was he consolidated a bunch of assets and then proceeded to sell off the most valuable assets, leaving Sears this kind of broken retailer, while his hedge fund got tons of origination fees and interest payments for giving the debt to, I guess, "Quote unquote," save this American icon. So I'm not sure if Eddie Lampert really went into the CEO role with the intention of being a stewardess of the Sears legacy, so much as he went into it thinking, "How am I as a CEO going to make money off of this investment?" And I think that's what it was for him—a long-term investment. So if I'm looking for a good washer dryer, Eddie Lampert probably not the guy to talk to. Probably not. <laughs> probably not. Okay. Well, before we pull this thread forward and talk about what it all means for the future, for the future of Sears, for the future of a company like Amazon, 
I want to um, first mention that this episode of Market Foolery is brought to you by Bamboo HR. If you have your own small or medium-sized business, or if you work in HR, you know how crazy it can be. Spreadsheets, paperwork, employee issues, and so much more. Well, that's where Bamboo HR can help. Bamboo HR can manage all your employee data and automate countless tasks in one easy-to-use system. So you can focus on people. What a concept, focusing on people. Right now, Bamboo HR is giving MarketFoolery listeners a special extended free trial. That's right. Try out Bamboo HR for a full 14 days free by going to BambooHR.com slash fool. Again, that's BambooHR.com slash fool. Okay, so let's pull the thread forward here. And I want to go back to Eddie Lampert here, Matt. He says that by declaring Chapter 11 here, and, and I should back up and say that he has resigned as CEO of Sears, but he's still the chairman and he's still the company's largest investor. And he says bankruptcy will allow Sears to strengthen its balance sheet and return to profitability. Wishful thinking? I think very wishful thinking. And and I'm not surprised at this. I mean, Toys R Us, for example, to use a recent example, declared Chapter 11 bankruptcy at least twice, if not three times, before they eventually liquidated. And I think this is inevitable for Sears as well. They're going to close some stores. They're going to try to um, get some debtor and financing in place so they can get through the holiday season, get a little bit of boost to their revenue, and maybe pay, try to pay off some liabilities. But this is a company that I think just from a retail point of view, has really no chance of bouncing back. Um, the brand, I think, has lost a lot of the connection it once had to consumers. By the way, they still have something like $1.5 billion in pensions, uh, pension liability outstanding, which how in the world are they going to be able to do, you know, cover that at some point? So, in my mind, even though they're going to go through this process that a lot of companies do, I don't see a light at the end of the tunnel. Emily? Yeah, I completely agree. I think continuing to pull that thread forward where Lampert really went wrong was just not focusing on the core demographic, not focusing on the consumer at all. I think Sears succeeded a lot for as long as it did because it was obsessed with the consumer. It was constantly kind of changing its business and innovating and moving to where they saw the markets. And sometimes that was misguided. Their financial services, for example, performed well, but like Matt said, it didn't make sense to go in and buy a shirt and a stock. Maybe it made sense to buy a bag battery and some insurance, uh, but not a shirt in the stock. So, really trying to understand the core demographic, I don't think is something that Lampert spent any time trying to understand. I think what he did was focused a lot on tech buzzwords, saying we're going to make this a technology-driven company, and didn't actually provide any value in that sense. So, yeah, just losing the focus on the, the core business and the core customer is really where, where Sears went wrong, in my opinion. Well, Matt, earlier you mentioned um, Derek Thompson. He's a writer for The Atlantic. He spoke at one of our member events, um, has a book called Hitmakers. Um, and he had an interesting piece a few years ago, really interesting piece about how Sears was the Amazon of its time until it made some preventable mistakes. In fact, that's essentially the title of the piece. And here are four lessons that he says Amazon can learn from Sears. So I want to spot you up with these and get your thoughts. He said, lesson one, retail is in a state of perpetual metamorphosis. Lesson two, even large technological advantages for retailers are fleeting. Lesson three, there is no strategic replacement for being obsessed with people and their behavior. And the fourth lesson, adding more business is not the same as building a better business. Those are all four fantastic. And I think when I think about them all together, it, it speaks to being flexible. It speaks to you have to constantly adapt to your customer to the environment, to your competition, and look at Walmart. Look what if we if we think about Walmart. Walmart 
came in, you know, in the 60s, 70s, but really 80s, 90s, really started to get into uh, Sears turf. And it was be- not because they necessarily had more products. It was, it was really it was a technology story. Walmart had figured out the supply chain, the distribution. They just got ahead of Sears in so many ways and were so, more effi- so much more efficient that they could offer these low, low prices. So, Sears and other retailers couldn't compete. Uh, and that was just an example of, hey, Sears, you're focusing on expanding and diversifying into all these other areas, but wait, there's a lot of things. Your competitors are doing a lot of interesting things to get their customers lower prices. You're not doing that. Uh, and so, when you think of Amazon and you think of other businesses, the ability to be flexible, to adapt to your customer, to adapt to trends, to adapt to technology. If you're not, you're, you're, set, to, you're set up to lose. And, and let's be clear here. I think innovation takes capital. You do, as a company, have to put your money where your mouth is. You can't say, I'm going to be a data-driven company, and then not follow through with the investments that's necessary to make that a reality. And for the time being, I think Amazon has done that really well. They've made a lot of strategic acquisitions and used that free cash flow to further grow and innovate and and change their company to match the future of tomorrow. Now, of course, we can't know if that's going to continue, uh, but I think that president, putting your money where your mouth is and putting the capital behind the necessary innovation is key for making that succeed. Emily Flippin, Matt Argersinger, thanks for joining me. Thanks, Matt. Thanks. If you have a thought on Sears, if you have a Sears story you want to share, if you have a question or comment for us, our email is marketfoolery at fool.com. That's marketfoolery at fool.com. Thanks, as always, for joining us. Um, As always, people on the show may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's it for this edition of Market Foolery. The show is mixed by Austin Morgan. I'm Matt Greer. Thanks for listening, and we will see you tomorrow.